the baptism last week and just helping people find newness of life in Christ. And that's the only thing that will make the angels of heaven rejoice. All of them together is when that occasion takes place. And so we rejoice this morning in knowing because we have received newness of life, God calls us to continually follow and serve and strive after Him. And that's what we do at this time each week through, your, through His Word. It's to come together, listen to the Word of God poured out that's been sealed throughout time for us so that we might live according to it, not just because He tells us to, but because He knows it's best, and because His Word is good and it never fails when put into practice, will never fail us in our life as we live it. So would you pray with me and let's ask God to bless this time of study together. Father, we come and we give you grateful praise for all the many blessings that you poured out in our life. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to even be known by you, to know you even, Lord. The high King of heaven, the great Almighty One, and you still want to be known by such feeble creatures as us. Father, how wonderful that is. To know that, that you love us enough to do everything you can to continue to reach out to us in love and show us or more of who you are. You showed us the fullness of your love through Jesus. Oh, we're so blessed. And so, Lord, I pray now that as we come together that we won't forget Jesus, that we'll listen to his words, and that, Lord, we will strive to be more like him. And that you'll put down in our spirit that same desire, Lord, as David prayed in the Psalms, Father, just stir our hearts fires and rekindle us, Lord, that we might be stirred for you. Father, may that be us today. And for those fires that haven't been stirred for a while, may you, may you cause those embers, not yet out, but still burning, to glow brighter and brighter, burn for you. Father, this morning there will be some conviction, but let there be comfort in that conviction. Let there be your peace that rests over us as we seek to live out your will in our lives. Father, comfort your people. Lead us after your own heart that we might not be ours any longer, but that we might be yours. That this world no longer sees us, but they see you. I pray this and ask that this word infiltrate our hearts and lives in that such way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you please to open them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. The book of Matthew, chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, that's quite all right. You can grab a pew Bible. Uh, you can open up your bulletin, it's there as well, and on the screen, however you'd like to receive the Word of God this morning. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 22. It reads like this. 
Early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but he found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. And if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The story is told of a zoo that was noted for their great collection of different animals. One day, the gorilla died, and to keep up the appearance of a full range of animals, the zookeeper hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and fill in for the dead animal. It was his first day on the job, and the man didn't know how to act like a gorilla very well. So as he tried to move convincingly, he got too close to the wall of the enclosure, and he tripped, and he fell into the lion exhibit. And he began to scream, convinced his life was over until the lion spoke to him and said, Be quiet or you're going to get us both fired. <coughs> this really, even as funny as it is, is the very essence of the scripture that we have read this morning. And it's a word I think that we hear too often, maybe because it's too often displayed, I don't know, but that word is hypocrisy, hypocrisy, which according to the Merriam-Webster's dictionary, hypocrisy is a behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. Hypocrisy is a behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, as was the case for this living parable that Jesus plays out for his disciples. This scripture comes on the heels of one of the most notable moments in Jesus' ministry, his cleansing of the money changers from the temple in Jerusalem. As he overturned their tables for selling for gain the profit of people's repentance of sins, he declared it is written that my house will be called a house of prayer, but that you are making it a den of robbers. I would imagine that this occasion would have been quite a sight to see. It was in that moment that Jesus exposed and called to bear what the normal, average, everyday people felt. That the religious leaders had allowed their hypocrisy to infiltrate the Lord's holy temple, which was supposed to be a place of worship, prayer, and sacrifice unto the Lord, but now had sadly been turned into a den of ill-gotten gain. How terrible it would be to use the Lord and His church as a platform for personal gain. Of course, the religious leaders were indignant at this occasion. But the people flocked to Jesus, the normal, average, everyday people. Despite the anger that he displayed, it was still yet 
righteous anger and the people knew it and they felt it and they flocked to Jesus. The blind, the lame, and the children, they were seeking to bless Jesus for what He had done and to be blessed by Him and return. And before leaving the temple and leaving the city, Jesus remarked, Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, You, O Lord, have called forth Your praise. Such simple faith that was calling and reaching out to God when those who should have known better did not. Well, the next morning, Jesus and the disciples returned to the city from Bethany where they had stayed the night, most likely with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus' good friends. Like anyone, first thing in the morning, he was hungry. So he walked up to the fig tree that he had seen by the road. Listen to the words of a trusted commentary that talks about this moment and occasion. Fig trees were a popular source of inexpensive food in Israel. In March, the fig trees have small edible buds. In April came the large green leaves. Then in May, the buds would fall off and be replaced by the normal crop of figs. This incident most likely occurred in April, and the green leaves should have indicated the presence of edible buds that Jesus expected to find on the tree. This tree, however, was full of leaves, but yet it had no buds. Fig trees require three years from the time they are planted until they bear fruit. The absence of buds indicated that the tree would not produce figs that year. The tree looked promising, but offered no fruit. Jesus did not curse the fig tree because he was angry at not getting any food from it. Instead, this was an acted-out parable intended to teach the disciples. By cursing the fig tree, Jesus was showing his anger at religion without substance. Jesus' curse did not make the tree barren of figs. Instead, it sealed the way it had always been. It was a dramatic teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples that day, one that left the disciples seemingly dumbstruck at what he had done. But sometimes in order to grab our attention, God must move in similar ways in our lives as he did the lives of the disciples that day. Because in our lives, there are many well-meaning people living well-meaning lives, from the average person to the most influential of leaders. But they're carrying ghastly secrets. From the outside, no one could ever tell or notice that something lurked just beyond in the shadows that was ready to take them down. And we just know, just from recent history, <laughs> that such matters include pride, Extortion, moral infidelity, substance abuse, abuse of power. Oh, the list sadly goes on and on and on. And that's just within the abuse of the ministry of the Word of God. You see, the outside of the house looks great, but the inside is a wreck. And it's always a shocker to us, isn't it? We say, why? No, not them. How did we not see it coming? 
listen to the following sad but true story as I read it in its entirety. I don't normally tend to do this, but I believe the point is very poignant from Peter Scazzaro's book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Larry is the 41-year-old founding pastor of a rapidly growing church. He and his wife, Rebecca, have been married for 20 years and have four children. In his 18 years leading the church, the congregation has grown from a core group of 100 to more than 4,000 with 35 staff members. Larry is friendly and easygoing and loved by his team. Things with the church and his life seemed to be going well until the day that he abruptly submitted his resignation to the personnel committee. He said that he was burnt out from the last few years, especially after completing a recent capital campaign for a new worship center. It turned out, however, that there was much more to the story than that. A recent visitor to the church had encountered Larry with another woman at a hotel in a, in a nearby city. And it was not a random encounter, but a three-year on-again, off-again affair. Larry seemed to think his resignation would somehow prevent the news from being discovered by the church, but it was too late for that. Later, it was also discovered that Larry had accumulated a sizable financial debt in recent years. Larry resigned. His marriage ended, and the church was left to pick up the pieces. It's sadly a familiar story, isn't it? But there is another aspect to the story that raises issues every Christian leader needs to grapple with. During the three years that Larry's life was going off the rails, the church was thriving, attendance increased by several hundred, many people came in faith to Christ, and the giving and the ministry budget increased and the church's impact on the community expanded. Larry even preached a popular series on biblical marriage and family life for six weeks during that time. Somehow the church experienced short-term success even when something was terribly wrong at the leadership level. But after Larry's resignation, the church swiftly spiraled downward. People felt betrayed and deceived and fingers were pointed. Resources and energies once devoted to outreach were redirected to helping people within the church grieve and heal. The budget was slashed by 40% and this meant that ministries both locally and internationally were discontinued or rad radically cut back. Frustrated church members wanted to know why staff and members of the church board hadn't noticed any warning signs of Larry's problems. At the end of a quarterly congregational meeting in which the issue was raised, the board chairperson summarized the board's response in saying that we saw things that concerned us. Larry was always on the move, juggling new projects, speaking at conferences, hiring new staff. It was hard for us to keep up with how quickly the church was changing. None of us ever probed or asked deeper questions. And the reality is we were so caught up in the excitement over things like the new building campaign and the attendance numbers skyrocketing, that we were disregarded in what we noticed. And we attributed his behavior to the normal stresses that come with growth. A long pause followed and the room grew painfully quiet. The board chair quietly acknowledged what many others were thinking. What makes this whole situation so hard to understand? is that some of our most powerful weekend services took place during the three years 
that he was having an affair. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders, what we would consider today to be our modern-day preachers and elders, started in their service for the Lord just as we do and, and did, innocently, truly wanting to serve. But somewhere along the, lo- the way, they lost sight of the Father and His worship in the midst of their own glory and praise and gain. Like the fig tree, the temple of the Lord and the religious people looked good from a distance, but upon closer examination, they were fruitless and hollow. In the temple, there was beautiful construction, but yet empty worshipers filling and following a barren ritual. Today, if we are not careful, this too could happen to us. A great evangelical of the past, J.C. Ryle, remarked, It's not everyone who claims to be a Christian but does not bear fruit in awful danger of becoming a withered fig tree. So long as a person is content with the mere leaves of religion, with the reputation for being alive while he is dead, a form of godliness without the power, so long his soul is in great peril. I would agree, obviously. Jesus did not explain to his disciples when questioned why he cursed the fig tree, but his words to them that followed the question speaks the unmistakable truth to them and to us today, that they and we must have faith in God alone. It's the unmistakable truth that they and we must have faith in God alone. In fact, we must have an unshakable, undivided, and unrestricted faith that rests solely in God alone and in not the kingdoms of this world. To Jesus, the difference between the two people, those in the kingdom of this world and place their faith there and those who place their faith In God, these people are unmistakably different. As I listed them earlier, when we build our hopes on things of this world, of our pride, of our own power, of our own lust, our own flesh, if we build ourselves upon substance abuse, we will not be able to keep up the charade. We will not be able to keep it going for long, especially in prayer. We'll not be able to keep it going for long when we come before God. Though man may not be able to tell the difference in us, God can. When we live a life contrary to the will of God, that is, in a willful lifestyle, that is not in struggling contempt with the sin, but in giving over to it, God cannot hear any prayer unless it is that prayer of repentance. I say this again, Unless we are willing to repent our sins, God can hear no other prayer. God cannot bless someone who is living contrary to His will. God cannot answer someone's prayer who is not seeking His will for their life. The only prayer that He will first hear from them is, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And then, and 
then the blessing comes. Or they stop placing faith in themselves and in the world and in what satisfied them and what satisfies us and seek satisfaction in God alone. Church, the Apostle James tells us in his letter to the early church that the effectual, <coughs> excuse me, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In this passage, righteous does not mean someone who acts right or is seemingly right on their own power. No, in this passage, the righteous person is someone who is made righteous by the Lord alone because their sin has been washed clean and made right in His sight by a confession in faith that God would forgive them if they asked. And this is proven true by the beginning of the same verse that reads, confess your faults or confess your sins, as other translations state, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Church, we cannot be healed physically, spiritually, emotionally until we ask God to forgive us. And then that's when the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. When we are in the will of God. And there's no great secret to how that's done. There's no great formula into how we get into the will of God. It is simply this. Lord, I have messed up. I have failed you. I have made a mess of my life. Father, will you forgive me? If we are not yet a believer, that prayer of, of confession and repentance will lead us to baptism. If we are one who has been baptized and our sins have been washed clean, but yet we find ourselves in the ruts of sin and we find ourselves in a lifestyle that is not pleasing and honoring to God and is hurting us deeply and the others around us, that is the moment where we simply cry out to God again and say, Lord, forgive me. And He will. And that's when our prayers availeth much. Is when we stand clean before the sight of God. We place faith in Him alone that He can forgive us alone. And that's when we be able, that's when we are able to move mountains. Because no longer are we placing faith in anything of this world, in the kingdoms of this world. These things that will pass away one day. No, we place faith in God alone. Once that prayer has been offered in faith, that offer and asking of God for repentance, when we rest the matter at the foot of the cross, that great indiscretion will be thrown into the sea, that great mountain that we seemingly could not climb, Jesus just threw it away because of our prayer, believing that He could do it. Church, your prayers may seem too impossible for a suitable resolution to come. But I ask you, have you given it to Jesus? 
Have you given it to Jesus? Have you confessed your sins and asked that God cleanse you? That you might see that burden flung into the sea and make such a splash it seems like a mountain was cast into the water? Are you willing to stop building your hopes on the things of this world and start building them on the things that are eternal and hold unto God's unchanging hand? And my question is, if you haven't done this yet, why are you waiting to lay down this burden? Why are you waiting to give it to God? Because He wants to do so much more in your life and mine if we would just give it to Him. Church, give whatever your concern is, whatever your problem is, whatever you are hiding, whatever mask that that you are wearing, that nobody else can see. Church, God can. Whatever that thing is, give it to the Lord in faith so you can know that it is gone for certain. Stop hiding today and come. And I promise that if you do and if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's not my promise. That's Jesus' promise. And He wants you to take Him up on it today. I hope you will. As I pray for the conviction to fall on us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come today as broken people. All of us stand in the need of grace, in the need of mercy in the need of help and hope that only you can provide. Lord, I pray that you will speak to each heart, no matter who we are, where we are sitting, what we are doing, that, Lord, if we are struck by your Spirit, that we will move today. Lord, I pray that many people will come to the altar of forgiveness Lord, maybe they need to bow down in their heart. But Lord, I pray that they will bow down today in this altar in front of this congregation, not to be shamed, but to know that when we come together and when we offer prayers over one another, that a righteous man's prayer availeth much, not because of who they are, but because of who you are in them. Lord, please, if there is someone who is struggling with a burden or a need that needs to give it down, may they do it today. May they get it away from them. And may you take it and cleanse it as they lay it at the foot of the cross. Let nothing stop anyone from coming today. Let people stop hiding behind the mask of, of religion, hiding behind the mask of their failure, hiding behind the mask of, of infidelity, hiding behind the mask of substance abuse, hiding behind whatever mask it might be. Even pride that keeps us from to lay these things down that there might be freedom in Christ today, that we might be healed. So that in our healing, in our repentance and forgiveness, that whatever we may ask for in prayer, even if it's, Lord, for you to somehow forgive our very broken lives that don't seem redeemable, even that, Lord, may we realize there's nothing impossible for you. 
that you might do the impossible for us. Father, I pray that people will come and bow down before you today, whether at this altar or at the altar of their heart. Lord, let us leave changed. Let us leave ready to serve you greater than we maybe have for a while. Lord, ready to pray with someone else so that the promise may come that the prayers of these righteous people might availeth much in the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.